and welcome to this month's episode of Money Mountaineering with Peter Newworth, FSA, FCA, where this award-winning actuary and author interviews experts that help us answer the question, what's your future worth? I'm Hope Katz-Gibbs, producer of the show on the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV. Excited to introduce you to Pete's guest, Mary Jo LeFay. She is a licensed home equity retirement income specialist with Mutual of Omaha, and she has been a reverse mortgage specialist for the last 20 years. Today's topic, the practicalities of getting a reverse mortgage. Before I hand the show over to Pete, let me tell you a little bit about Mary Jo, who has spent years in the reverse mortgage field, including seven years at Security One Lending and five years with Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. She has earned numerous awards, including Wells Fargo Leaders Club member with the highest customer service scores, and she was chosen to train private bankers and wealth management advisors on the most effective ways to employ this repayment deferred line of credit as a retirement planning and cash flow management tool. She is well known and trusted by retirees, who and she enjoys educating and working with mature homeowners, their families, and their trusted advisors. So we are going to learn a ton from Mary Jo and Pete today. Take it away, Pete. Well, thanks a lot, Hope. And, and thank you, Mary Jo, for joining me. I mean, it's this is really a thrill for me. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've known each other quite a while back when you uh, were working behind the scenes with uh, Barry Sachs. And Barry and I were developing some research around the use of reverse mortgage for uh, addressing sequence of return risks and, and retirement planning in general. But since that time, it seems that you've gotten a, a new role at a new company. And uh, now I understand you're at Mutual of Omaha. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing for Mutual of Omaha? Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Hope, for the kind introduction. That was great. And thank you, Pete, for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be one of your guests. And yeah, so I started my career uh, almost 20 years ago at Wells Fargo. I was there for five years. And then I left to go to a small boutique lender uh, that was Synergy One Lending. And Synergy One was actually bought by Mutual of Omaha several years ago. So now I'm uh, with a great company, Mutual of Omaha, and uh, they're giving us tons of support and really uh, kind of opening up the field to, to a wider range of, of uh, people that are looking for ways to tap their home equity and, and fund a more comfortable retirement. And uh, so I spend my days talking to financial advisors and estate planning and family law attorneys, CPAs, uh, real estate agents helping their clients downsize, caregiving agencies, and uh, anyone who wants to find out more about how to use home equity for retirement needs. Well, that's that's great. And, and you know, Mutual of Omaha is a terrific company. So I, I'm personally very thrilled to, to see a, a major insurance company get into the into the business because um, I, I've for a long time, I've thought reverse mortgages make a world of sense in, in many circumstances. Um, but as I as I think, you know, my work and Barry's work is very, very theoretical. We we were mathematicians and physicists and and tax people, and and we don't really deal with the practicalities so much. These things make sense on paper, but you actually make them happen in the real world. Can you can you tell talk a little bit about what that really means, and how do you sure. actually get a reverse mortgage? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, when I started at Wells Fargo, I really did not have a lot of experience. I've never originated conventional loans. Um, so it was a learning process. And I was lucky in that um, through uh, through a mutual uh, business acquaintance, uh, Barry Sachs and I were introduced probably in about 2005 or six. So it was just a few years into my career. And that was really a game changer for me because, um, you know, Barry's work and his tireless research and working with you and, and your expertise has really given, given me a, a whole new perspective on retirement planning and, you know, all the mathemat mathematics that are behind it and how important it is to be able to manage cash flow throughout your retirement and make sure you don't run out of money. I mean, that's that's really the, the end game is making sure that everyone has enough to cover their housing needs and to have a comfortable place to live and to be able to, to you know, provide their care needs and, and just basic living and have, have the lifestyle that they are hoping to achieve throughout their retirement. So, um, you know, being exposed to your research and Barry's research and, and having the, the, um, you know, the honor really to, to be a part of that has been uh, very, very enlightening and enriching for me and for my clients. And it's helped me understand how to relate to financial advisors and, and legal attorney uh, professionals and, and legal professionals and what their clients' needs are and, and really how they approach that. Um, so I learned a lot and, and I've, I've been able to share that with my, my referral partners and with, with their clients. But again, how do you actually get one? I mean, is it is it as simple as just calling up Mary Jo or, or your local bank and saying, hey, I want a reverse mortgage? And they say, uh, yeah, well, just fill out this mortgage application and you're and you're done. Or is it that simple or, or is it? Yeah, I, I certainly wish it were that simple. Uh, and that's um, that's what a lot of people think when they call me that this is going to be a, you know, a couple day process. And it, it's actually it, there's a full underwriting behind it, just like with conventional lending. Um, it's actually in some ways a little bit more rigorous because these loans, uh, primarily about 95% of the loans we do are HUD insured. So uh, they're just a regular FHA loan with deferred repayment. So basically they've taken an FHA loan, which is a uh, very, very consumer friendly and somewhat uh, uh, intensive as far as qualifying compared to a conventional loan. And they've made it customized for seniors. So there's no repayment required. Uh, there are minimal income and credit requirements. But we do still have to show that the borrower has the willingness and the capacity to pay their property charges. So that's the main uh, agreement that the borrower is signing up for when they obtain a reverse mortgage, uh, whether it be an FHA insured home equity conversion mortgage, or if it's the proprietary um, home safe or one of the proprietary jumbo reverse mortgages, they have to show that willingness and capacity. And capacity is shown by income. So they either need to show they have enough ongoing income to pay their property taxes, homeowners insurance, homeowners association dues, if there is an HOA involved, and maintenance and utilities on the property. And uh, if they don't have enough ongoing income, then the loan proceeds can cover that for them. But we have to show that there are enough loan proceeds to do that for their life expectancy. Um, and so, you know, we look at willingness and capacity, 
And, uh, you know, we pull a credit report to see if they tend to make their payments on time and so forth. And there are very few people that get turned down when they are applying for a reverse mortgage. But there is that process uh, to make sure that they're going to be able to stay in their home and those property charges will be paid for their life expectancy, either by their income or their loan proceeds. So we want to set them up for success. Um, that is a requirement that they live in the house and pay their property charges. So um, the lenders are, are required by HUD to make sure that that's going to be a success for everyone. Well, it does sound pretty easy and it, and it sounds almost too good to be true. I mean, is it really true that the, um, when you say willingness, does that mean you just, person says, I promise to do it and I, I intend to? I mean, it sounds almost like those liar loans that got <laughs> so many people in trouble so many years ago. I mean, it's, Well, that's a good start if they say, yes, I'm willing to do it. So we start there and then uh, we look at their history of paying things. So if they have a lot of uh, late payments on property taxes, HOA dues, homeowners insurance, then we know that uh, maybe they're not as willing as they're saying. So we we uh, we dig a little deeper. And if they just don't tend to have that history of paying things on time, then we can set up what's called a LISA. That's a life expectancy set aside. So we'll uh, take a small portion of their loan proceeds that they qualify for, and we set those aside for their enough to pay those charges for their life expectancy. And that again, sets them up for success as a borrower. Well, it, it's, it really does sound again, like almost too good to be true. I mean, you don't, you can get this loan. You don't even have to pay the closing costs. All you have to do is show that you've paid your bills in the past and you're willing to pay them in the future. Uh, you don't have to pay interest until you move out of the house, I guess, or you die or your spouse dies. I mean, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch. Yeah. So the loan is due when the last remaining borrower permanently vacates the home. So if they sell the home, the loan would be due just like with a conventional loan or um, and they can leave it to their heirs, just like with a conventional loan. And they, the heirs would inherit it subject to the debt, just like any other mortgage. And um, so they, they get to stay in the house for the rest of their life. They retain ownership. So the biggest misconception with reverse mortgages, people think you're giving your house to the bank or you're signing your house over or selling it to the bank. And that's not true at all. The reality is it's just like a conventional loan. There's a lien against the property. And when the home is sold, that lien will be paid off and the rest will be for the borrower or their heirs. So if they stay in the home for the rest of their life, then the heirs inherit the property and would repay the debt either through refinancing the loan to, uh, in, to a loan in their own name, which they would qualify for based on their own income and credit if they want to keep the house or they just sell it. Most people are going to sell the home because there's usually more than one heir. And so if, if one of the heirs wanted to keep the home, they would have to buy the other heirs out plus pay off the mortgage. So I would say... I don't know, maybe 80% of the time or more, they sell the house and divide the remaining proceeds among the heirs. Um, so um, as long as someone's living in the home, there's no payment due, no interest or principal. And then when the loan's due, they pay back the money they borrowed, plus all the interest that accrued over the life of the loan. And then of course, typically the home is appreciated during that time. So if you have a million dollar home value appreciating and a half a million dollar uh, debt uh, accruing interest, 
typically the home value is going to appreciate faster because it's so much larger, but there's no guarantee of that. That depends on the economy and the real estate market and the, you know, the city you're in and so forth. But all the remaining equity goes to the heirs and, and the borrower's estate. So that's important to know. Well, that sounds like a really important uh, myth to bust that, um, that you, you take out a reverse mortgage and the bank's going to take, take the house and, and you don't right. leave it. Um, but the but but I think I heard you say that um, only one person has to be living in the house. That if, if if there's a couple that gets a reverse mortgage and one of them has to go into nursing home care or something, because you know these days everybody people don't age at the same rate. And right. um, what happens in a case where you know one of the spouses is too sick to to live there? Live, continue to live in the house. So as long as one of the borrowers or the non-borrowing spouse, eligible non-borrowing spouse is residing in the home and paying their property tax and homeowner's insurance and abiding by all the loan terms, uh, then the loans never do. And that's open-ended. So it doesn't matter if they live to 100 or 110. Uh, it's literally open-ended. And even if uh, they did end up owing more than the house was worth. The they're not liable for any more than ninety five percent of the home value. So that's that's where the HUD insurance kicks in. These are fully non recourse loans, which means there's actually no liability on the borrower's part or their estate to repay the loan. Only the home value is liable for the debt, and that's a very unusual. Um, um, ability in lending to have a loan and regardless of how much it ends up being and what your home value is, you're not liable for, for any deficiency there. So that's one of the things that people pay for when they're paying the mortgage insurance on a HUD loan. And when I say paying for it, it's actually accruing. So there are no payments at all due on these loans until the last remaining borrower permanently vacates the house. Either they sell, they pass away, they go to assisted living, they move in with family. That's when the loan is due. So you keep mentioning the HUD and the and the and the guarantees and so forth, but out here in California, there's uh, I mean those HUD guarantees only go up to a million dollars or something like that. I mean I don't know what the limit is, but these days no, or... they're they're actually they they remove all liability from the borrower, so they're fully non recourse regardless of how much the debt is. Our jumbo loans go up to four million dollars. And they're also non-recourse. All reverse mortgages, even if they're not HUD insured, um, by law have to be non-recourse. Ah, okay. Well, that's that's real important for people to know because mm -hmm. I mean, I've I've heard um, you know in in some of the talks I've given, you know, we the the challenge comes back. Well, this might make sense for people with uh, in in Nebraska or somewhere where house prices are not you know million and two million dollars. But how is this going to work in California where uh, those HUD uh, HUD limits are just too low. So there are, but you're saying that uh, Mutual of Omaha provides proprietary products that will provide loans in, in excess of the, of the HUD limits? That is correct. Yeah, we can loan up to $4 million on the proprietary reverse mortgages. And there's no mortgage insurance on those. So the lender has to self-insure so that uh, we have higher interest rates instead on the, on the proprietary loans. But that only makes up probably about five or 10% uh, or the of the amount of reverse mortgages that are done nationwide. They're more common in California, uh, especially in the area where I live where home values are higher. Uh, but in general, um, most of the reverse mortgages in the country are, are the HECM, Home Equity Conversion Mortgage, and that's the FHA insured loan. 
Well, and 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 I can imagine that uh, the current economic environment has probably been uh, posing some uh, challenges, or maybe you're going to tell me that that too is easily overcome, like everything else that I've thrown at you so far. Yeah. Um, what about? I mean, I imagine inflation is helpful because it will raise the level of the the price of the house, and therefore you're not going to necessarily go underwater on it. But what about uh, what about interest rates and interest rate rises? I mean, how does that play into, into what you're doing? Yeah, so interest rates are kind of returning to historical norms now. We're not, uh, I call our, our recent interest rates over the last few years, Disneyland interest rates or Disney World interest rates, because they were, they were kind of fantasy interest rates and they were great for anyone buying a house. But um, now we're returning back to kind of historical norms. And so you do get to borrow a little bit less money when rates are higher, but you also get a much higher rate of uh, credit line growth rate when you have a higher interest rate. So right now, the FHA reverse mortgages have a credit line growth rate of around 7%. So that means if you start out with a $400,000 credit line, at the end of the year, now you have 428,000 that you can borrow. Um, so over time, uh, for anybody looking to set this up to manage a sequence of returns risk, uh, so that you have an alternate source from which to draw funds to, to pay for retirement needs, uh, when the market is down, when the securities portfolio might be losing value. If you're looking for an alternate source, um, maybe you have cash reserves, maybe you have some life insurance. Um, everybody pretty much owns a house or a lot of people are already homeowners. So it's something you don't have to buy or set aside. It's an asset that you already have. And regardless of how much of that asset you spend over your retirement years, you still get to enjoy the entire house. And I love it. Uh, Barry Sachs always talks about, even if you spend half of your house, you still get to live in the whole thing. Whereas if you spend half of your securities portfolio, you only benefit from the remaining half. Um, right. So that that's kind of a, a nice feature to think about. And there's so many uses for tax-free money. I mean, this is basically money that... Um, it's, it's already yours in your house, but you have to figure out a way to get it out if you don't want to sell that house. And well, you can use it for, you know, funding uh, health care, sequence of returns, uh, silver divorce. We have a growing population of older people getting divorced in the United States. Um, I know, uh, you know, we've we've been doing some research on that with with you and Barry and um the, the only demographic in the United States with a rising divorce rate is people over 50. And one in 65, one in 10 people today who are getting divorced are 65 or over. And those people are, they're, you know, splitting their assets at a time when they're most financial, financially vulnerable. They're either in retirement or nearing retirement. Their earning capacity might be waning. Um, and, you know, if, if they happen to enter into those years at a time when there's market volatility and inflation, uh, having um, having that housing wealth to to use to divide their assets is is really going to be crucial to them having housing security and just, you know, any type of security uh, for cash flow throughout their retirement years. Well, you know, uh, so uh, thanks for bringing that up. Mary Joe, because I mean that that uh, 
And, and you, you and I and Barry are, are going to be doing a uh, continuing education uh, seminar on uh, on silver divorce. And I, I got pulled into it mostly because there's a lot of qualified retirement plan uh, issues associated with um, silver divorce and particularly when somebody is maybe already in pay status and and uh, um, and it's very complicated or might have two or three different fine benefit pension plans or 401ks. But real estate is also a huge part of divorce. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what your, your part of that, that silver divorce um, sure. presentation, because I know you and Barry are going to be probably spending two thirds of that show on real estate. I mean, both um, equity and, and reverse mortgages. So. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, for anyone, especially if you live in a high cost area, um, for, for anyone, you know, one of their main concerns is where am I going to be able to live? And I'm, am I going to be able to live comfortably in a nice home, you know, in my community or, you know, in a community that that I can move to? Uh, maybe they want to live near their children or so forth. So figuring out how to divide their wealth and um, everybody becoming a homeowner again, so they're not subject to rising rates and inflation and all those things that can kind of throw off the success of a retirement plan and um, using using their housing wealth to to buy each other out. So you have, you know, let's say you have a, one of the parties wants to stay in the home that they've owned for a long time. They can obtain a reverse mortgage um, cash out to buy out the other party. And then that person can take their buyout money as down and use that as down payment on a new home and use a reverse mortgage in conjunction with that down payment to buy their next home. And in these cases, you have two older Americans who have split their assets at, you know, later in life, sometimes in their 70s and 80s. And instead of one having to take on a mortgage or end up, you know, renting or moving in with family, now they're both homeowners and nobody's taken on a mortgage payment. Not, mm-hmm. not only that, but it also sounds like if with an effective splitting of the real estate, you might even be able to avoid splitting up the pensions, which I can tell you as an actuary is a nightmare, particularly yeah. if those pensions are in pay status. Right. Yeah. Using the housing wealth creatively uh, to do buyouts and so forth. And I've also done buyouts of siblings, you know, when siblings inherit a property and one wants to keep it, they can use move into it if they're of age to qualify, they can do a reverse mortgage to buy out their other siblings. And I've done that on many occasions. So, you know, silver divorce, uh, buying out siblings, there are a lot of creative uses. And, you know, like anything, we touched on this earlier, um, nothing's for everyone, right? Conventional loans aren't for everyone. Being a homeowner is not for everyone. Some people right. don't want that that job and that that liability. Uh, but for people that do want to live in their home and are older and are looking for a way to manage their cash flow, you know, get through a divorce later in life without decimating their their future cash flow, um, this is definitely something that should be looked at, and and it really should be looked at with. You know, it, I always say this is not the back of an envelope calculation, right? This is not something that you talk to your neighbor about for advice or your brother-in-law. You want to really get um, get in touch with somebody that is a specialist, that has a team, um, that has been involved in, you know, really looking at these things from every angle and bring in advisors 
And, and the key to bringing in advisors is that make sure the advisors are educated. And, you know, advisors are very focused on building wealth. And sometimes they're not looking at every angle of, okay, how do we divide that wealth in, in different instances? And so, you know, that's, that's what has, has been so great about working with you and Barry is we bring that level of education to the advisors and the legal professionals so that they can really advise their clients in a way that's going to be very holistic and, you know, considering every angle and every asset that can be used to make that a success. I want to pick up on something you, you mentioned just in, in passing about the siblings, because one of the questions I have is who's involved in, in this decision? I mean, is it just the couple or, or, the, or the individual or are the kids involved or the families? Who's part of the decision and how is that decision typically yeah. made? That's a great question. And it's a really important uh, part of my job is to bring in as many people uh, early in the process as possible, helpful people, you know, people that can take the time, do the work, understand um, the different possibilities and the different tools that are going to really help, whether it's their parents or their client or their brother um, a lot of times, you know, they'll bring in, they, they might have five children and maybe two of them are kind of numbers focused and really will take the time to do the reading and to attend a Zoom meeting and and meet, you know, and, and ask the, the questions and really look at the numbers. But these are things that, you know, this should be put on a spreadsheet. Again, it's not to be calculated off the top of your head or on the back of an envelope. Um, it, it's really something that needs to be looked at to make sure you've considered every every column that goes on that spreadsheet to make that decision. So, you know, I usually try to involve a financial advisor if they have one. Um, if not, maybe their CPA, uh, if they have a tax attorney, if they're in bankruptcy, uh, their bankruptcy attorney, and if they have any, you know, children that tend to be maybe in finance or real estate that can help them understand the numbers. And I try to get everyone together either at a in-person meetings or a Zoom meeting. So everyone can have their questions answered at the same time. And there's not a he said, she said, you know, kind of misunderstanding that that can uh, get out of control. And usually mm -hmm. when we get everyone together and get them all collaborating, there's there's a good outcome. What about the, the process to, to get to the decision to, yes, a reverse mortgage probably makes, might make sense to where, where it's worth bringing in the, 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 you know, the daughter from Southern California and the, and the son from Washington, D.C. And how, how do you help families just get to the point of saying this might make sense? Yeah, well, um, you know, most people have kind of gotten a, close to that point when they call me because they've typically decided that they, they're trying to make a decision. Should we stay in our house or should we sell? And I can actually help them figure out, you know, what are the pros and cons of both, uh, right? Because maybe we can help them stay in their house and pay off a big mortgage that they can no longer afford as they're going into retirement. But then is that enough? Is mm -hmm. paying off the mortgage and getting rid of their principal and interest payment enough? Or do they need to sell that house, get rid of the mortgage, and then maybe buy another house for half as much and use a reverse mortgage to buy that? 
which may allow them to you know, get into a newer one level home with no mortgage payment and put some more money into their securities portfolio or whatever type of other investment planning they want to do for their retirement. So, you know, I'm not a financial advisor or a legal advisor, but I can kind of help people brainstorm things that they might enjoy during their retirement, some of the possibilities, the pros and cons of each, and then the questions to take to their advisor, um, just so that they feel a little bit clearer on on what their questions are and what their possibilities are. Most people have no idea that you can use a reverse mortgage to pay off a conventional loan or that you can use it to buy another house. So in other words, what I'm hearing you say is if you are getting to an age, and I, I, I guess it's now 55, it's not even 62, it used to be 62, and you're saying, boy, there's something I should be, do- I, I really need to do something about our house. Either I have to, we have to sell it or we have to refinance or, oh my God, we're going to have to move or we're getting old or we, it's got two floors and we only we can only live on one or, or something. But if, if somebody's getting to the point of wanting to do something with the house, they ought to call you to see, well, there might be a, a reverse mortgage as a, as a possible technique to solve whatever problem they've got. Right. Yeah. And and whether it's reverse mortgages or downsizing or whatever, you know, I think it's good for people to start looking at that ahead of time. Right. Maybe, maybe look at it if you're going to do it five, five years down the road. And um whether, you know, whether it's urgent and you can't afford to make your mortgage payment or you're just thinking, what are my options mm-hmm. to create the retirement of my dreams? Um, right. You know, start looking at it as early as possible. I have a lot of my clients are 75 or 80 and I'll get their kids on a call and their kids are 60 and they start thinking, Hey, you know, when we hang up, I'm going to call you about my plan and what do I want to do in five years or 10 years so I can start getting all my ducks in a row. And, and that's a great, great, you know, position to be in to really have some lead time. Um, and, you know, I'll advise them, maybe you don't want to add any more debt to your house right now. Right, right. Maybe, you you know, maybe don't remodel the kitchen until you're really ready to sell. And, right. you know, and don't add another 500000 to send your two kids to private college uh, thinking that, you know, you're going to be able to pay that off because maybe really you're not. So, you know, just kind of walking them through what are their possibilities now or later, um, I think can can give people a lot of clarity and a sense of peace. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to ask you one last question, which is I'm kind of boggled from a from a theoretical standpoint why there aren't many, many, many more reverse mortgages. And and yet it's a it's been a very slow to grow business. Do you think that there are psychological things that are getting in the way? And if so, do you have any last minute kind of advice for the for the listeners as to how to overcome those psychological barriers? Yeah, I see two things, actually. I see a lot of misinformation. Uh, Again, you know, what we talked about earlier, people think you're selling your house to the bank or signing it over to the bank and then your kids are going to get nothing, which you know, is is just not the way it works. It's it's much more similar to a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. You're just getting a credit line against your house that you can draw on for your to fund your retirement. And then you're still going to get all the future appreciation and you can still leave your house to your kids. So it's it's not as mysterious as people think it is. It's 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 a it's a more simplistic 
Um, you know, there are a lot of bells and whistles and, and, you know, HUD has all their regulations and everything. But when you really look at just the, the dynamics of it, it's just a, a credit line against your house that you're going to repay when you sell the house or when your kids refinance the debt later if they want to keep the house. So there's a lot of misconceptions. Some of that's based on the old reverse mortgages that um, were much less flexible. They were done in a high interest rate environment when rates were around 13%. This was in the 80s. And they required that your house be paid in full when you took out the loan. And you had to take all the money at once and buy an annuity. So then you just got your monthly annuity payment. You couldn't take out an extra 50000 to, you know, put on a new roof and make your bathrooms more accessible. Um, so it, there's a lot of kind of really old information out there about reverse mortgages that people haven't been updated on. And then there's also, you know, the sense, and, and I believe this came from when people relied mostly on pensions, there's the sense in people's minds they always have the idea, I want to leave my house to my kids. And I mean, who doesn't want to get a house, right? But the reality is probably unless you have one child and they don't already have a house that they live in, they're probably going to sell that house. So, uh, you know, a, a more strategic thing might be, how do I use my house to manage my cash flow so that I leave the largest overall legacy to my family? And unless you have, let's say, a disabled child that is going to live in that particular house forever, it it's really needs to be a little uh, an adjusted perception because, you know, it used to be, I don't know, 25 years ago, maybe, that the majority of companies offered pensions. And that's what people retired with. They retired with a pension and a house, right. and their house was usually paid off. Right. And um, now what, 25% of companies are offering pensions instead of 75%. So now people have a 401k. So suddenly we've got all these lay people who aren't investment professionals and financial gurus, but they're in charge of managing market volatility when, you know, not so much when they're young because they're just, they're accumulating wealth. But when they start decumulating the wealth, suddenly if they don't know not to pull out from their investment portfolio in a down year when they're losing value, they're going to be in big trouble 10, 20, 20 years, 12 years down the road. So it's on us, um, you as an actuary, Barry, you know, doing the mathematical modeling and the financial advisors to help people understand that, yeah, do, do you want to leave the house to the kids? I mean, are your kids all going to move into that house? Or are they going to sell it and liquidate it? So in that case, you want to leave the biggest pot of overall wealth to your heirs. And, and that might, uh, to facilitate that, you might need to tap your equity to live on while your investments are losing value. Like this year, for instance, would be a great I year. I think it's beautifully well said. And what you what you basically said, and, and I think this is a great way to, to end this, is that the world has changed. And so it probably makes sense to leave the 401k and spend the house as opposed to spend the 401k and leave the house. Right. And secondly, reality, I mean, reputation persists longer than reality. And so not only has things changed fundamentally, but also reverse mortgages are not what they used to be. So right. 
Thank you so much, Thank Mary you, Jo, for, for being here and enlightening us. And um, I hope everybody gets got something out of it. And um, I hope many of you will um, be available for our continuing education piece on on silver divorce down the road. And hope I think I'm going to turn it back to you if you're still there. I'm here. I'm producing the show, babe. <laughs> that was fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. I think we need to actually leave our viewers with Mary Jo telling us how can CFPs and lawyers and other professionals get in touch with you about that continuing edu course, education course around silver divorce? Thank you, Hope. That's a great question. So uh, we've submitted those for uh, approval for continuing education for the Bar Association and for CFPs. And so that should be available in early 2023. And you can contact me or Pete, either one, email, telephone, and we can put you on the list to uh, let you know when those, those credits are going to be available. It'll be a two-hour course, so you'll get two hours of, of continuing education credit. And we'll be offering it by Zoom. And we'll also be doing uh, possibly live presentations in the Bay Area and at national conferences. So we we'll look forward to getting that word out to everyone and sharing uh, all the work that Pete and Barry have done to put that together. It's, it's a pretty phenomenal presentation. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Excellent. Excellent. And so you can learn all about this at peternewworth.com and Mary Jo's new website which will be coming in 2023 as well. Incandescent is proud to be supporting both of these amazing entrepreneurs and big thinkers around how we can maximize our future finances. So Peter Newworth with Money Mountaineering and What's Your Future Worth, his two books, and fantastic Mary Jo LeFay. So we thank you all for listening to Money Mountaineering this evening, and we look forward to talking to you next month.